a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and I am so excited for you to hear today's podcast. So you might have heard me talk about this in other podcasts or in class, if you're taking class with me, or in our teacher training, but I have continued my education. I love continued education. I love adding to my body of knowledge, and I just like thinking about the pregnant postpartum body. And so I'm taking this course, I believe the full name is prenatal, postnatal corrective exercise specialist. And it's with Dr. Sarah Duval. And I have learned a tremendous amount. So I reached out to Sarah to see if she'd come on the podcast to talk about diastasis and the pelvic floor and things that worsen diastasis, things that cause diastasis. And she said, yes. And so that is what this podcast is all about. So if you are pregnant, if you are postpartum, if you are someone that is interested in the body, if you are a yoga teacher or a physical therapist, I think this is really going to speak to you. Let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. Sarah Duval. She is a women's health and fitness specialist and founder of Core Exercise Solutions, a center for continuing education for professionals and online programs to help women. It is really a great course. I'm so happy to be participating in it. So, and I'm really excited about this conversation for you to hear. So before we get to that, just want to give you guys a little heads up about some of the things happening at the studio. So we're continuing our online classes seven days a week. So no matter where you are, you can still take our classes. And if you can't catch them at their live stream, we offer re-releases. So our classes are basically on demand for you. In fact, a lot of our workshops are on demand for you as well. If you don't have time for a whole class, please head to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and download five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And this is just a free downloadable that you can then check out if your back's hurting, your neck's hurting, or your hips are hurting. You can take five minutes of your day and address that with my little cheat sheet. And then also I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone that has gone online and head to Apple Podcast and left a rating and review. We've really had a bump in our rating reviews recently, so I want to take a moment and thank everybody for that because I know it takes time. I know sometimes you think to do it and yet something else comes up. So the fact that people are taking time and doing that, it means a lot to me. So 
Thank you so much for that. And then talking about things online, (laughs) you like that segue there. We have one more online prenatal yoga teacher training until we're back in person. So if you are interested in taking a very deep dive into our very thorough and comprehensive pre and postnatal teacher training, we have that for January and February. And then we're back in person. So if you feel like heading to New York and studying with me and my team, we are back in person in March and April. We're going to do another back in person in September and October, and then back online, not until November, December. So if you are elsewhere and it's hard to get to New York, jump into the online program. One thing I've noticed is we've had a lot of people from outside of the US, a lot of people from Europe taking the class. And I don't know if this would be so accessible for people if they were trying to come to New York um, twice, once at the beginning of the month, once at the end. So make sure you check out our online information about that. Okay, that is all I have to say. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sarah Duval. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high resolution video and clear two way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing great. So excited to be here. Thank you so much. This is really fun for me because I've been doing your online course. So I've been watching you for months. <laughs> Like I already know you in a weird, I'm sure you get that a lot. Cause I get that when people listen to the podcast and they're like, Oh, I know you. I'm like, not really. Um, but it's really exciting to speak but with they, you. They do a little bit. I mean, they know us because I mean, throughout the course, I'm pretty open and yes. I feel like, you know, I, so I think they do get to know us to some it is, degree. No, it is true. And it's really fun. Um, because I've really, yeah, I've definitely gotten a sense of who you are, um, through your course. And then also like, dip, like in your house, I'm like, Oh, the curtains look different today or something. <laughs> like, oh, are the skeletons there today? So yes, there is true. We do show it's up as ourselves. It's a different filming day. Yeah. Well, look at that outfit. Well, anyway, I'm just really excited to speak with you. I love all things. Clearly, if I'm taking your course, I love all things to help with flora and diastasis and something I teach. So the fact that I've gained some of this knowledge from you and now I can kind of pick your brain and go deeper, it's very exciting. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I am so excited to be able to have this follow-up with you. I think that that's exciting. <laughs> so let's jump in. So I'd love to learn a little bit about you and how did you end up specializing in the perinatal physical therapy community? Well, like most women in, that have gone into this you know, pre and postnatal type of specialty, I had issues. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think, I mean, there are those, there's those magical unicorns that you see that are come straight out of PT school. They're like, I want to be in women's health. And, but they are rare and you don't see many of them. Uh, so it's most of us that are ortho PTs, I think that end up having issues. And we're like, you know, I think I need to learn more about this to be able to help myself. And then you, you learn how much help is needed in this area compared mm-hmm. to the ortho side. Uh, where everything has more money, more research, more time, effort, people. And so you come over to the women's health world and you're like, wow, there is a huge disparity mm. with the amount of research backing what we do for women's health versus what happens when you have your ACL repaired. Mm. So it's just a, it, there's a kind of a big gap there. And so that's part of what led me uh, down this road to continue specializing in it because I'm passionate about fitness and passionate about sports, about being an active athletic woman. I'm not even going to say mom, but just an athletic woman that, that wants to continue doing things after experiencing uh, postpartum issues. And so uh, bridging that gap between, you know what, that period of your life is done. You need to hang it up and like, no, no, it's not done. I can still be as active as I want to be. I just need to work a bit harder for it. So I think that was, I think all women should be able to have that ability. And I like that in your course, you do talk about, and you just did even now that you had issues. It's something I'm really upfront with my community that I had pelvic floor issues, like really pelvic floor issues and diastasis. I had pelvic floor prolapse. Like I went through it all and it gives, I think, a different empathy for those that are experiencing it. So um, thank you for being so open to share that because it does help when someone that is helping others can say, yeah, I've, I've, I get it. I've been there too. It, it does. It gives you empathy, but it also gives you that ability to be like, all right, I need you to buck up a little bit now and fight for yourself. And Oh, get out yeah. of that oh state gosh. a bit of poor pitiful me and you need to move forward and I can help you. Let's work together. I've got your back, but I've been there. I felt this. I know how devastating it is, but you know what? There's another side to it. And that side is very hopeful. It's just going to take digging deep. And time, I remember. Yeah, that. and time. Oh, the time. The time. <laughs> yeah, I, my the time. PT was having me do these exercises twice a day. And like the type A crazy person I am, I took it seriously. Like I would do it. I'd find the time that after one of the like middle of the night feedings, when it was quiet, I would put my son back to bed (laughs) and I was doing, I'm like, well, how else am I going to get it in twice a day? So it it definitely amazing, (laughs) amazing, crazy, sad that my pelvic floor was like hanging by my ankles. I don't know, but like not literally, but that's how it felt anyway. So let's get down to topic at hand because I love this stuff. So I know we're going to talk about the relationship of diastasis and the pelvic floor. So two of my favorite things I talk about with my students all the time, but let's start with like the super basic foundation. How do you explain diastasis recti to somebody? So it is a thinning of the midline fascia in your body. So you think about that rectus six-pack muscle that we are so focused on in our Western culture and the middle of that muscle that runs up and down uh, the middle of your stomach, that is your midline fascia. And when that fascia thins out, that is what we call diastasis recti because then it's not often loading well um, when you test it. It may feel squishy or it might dome up. Um, so this is... This is a simple explanation for diastasis. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of people can understand that. I called it the shark fin because it looked like a little <laughs> shark fin. <laughs> it can. Forward. Yes. Yeah. A little shark fin coming forward. So if say somebody notices that they have this, are there some things that can cause it to worsen? And I also remember in your course, you talked about the role of genetics. I hadn't really thought about that before. Can you talk about what that role is as well as what people might do to not realizing that they're worsening their diastasis or some of the causes as well. Oh, absolutely. So when we look at the cause of diastasis, I think that's an important place to start because you've got a few causes. Now, one is pregnancy. Okay. So you're thinking lots of stretching. That makes complete sense. But when we take a step back, we look at the fact that men and children can have a diastasis. Most kids have a diastasis. And then that diastasis clears up as they get older, they get stronger, they get better connection throughout their body, through their muscular system. Uh, so do not be alarmed. If you go check your child and you're like, oh, there's a diastasis. <laughs> so that can be completely normal. And so that's one thing that I love taking to heart about diastasis is that it is a completely normal part of our developmental process. So when we look at it like that, it doesn't make you quite so afraid anymore. You're like, oh, well, if it's normal when we're a child, and we are able to overcome it, then after pregnancy, there can be a chance that we could overcome it postpartum. Now, and I say can be a chance because that's where some of that genetic roles come in. And I don't have percentages because there just has not been the research, like I was saying, <laughs> to really take a look at what we see anecdotally. So the what I, the women that I see improve, um, and so, and I'm to blame because I haven't done any research <laughs> yet on it published. But when we take a look at the diastasis occurring and getting over it, we're going to have a percentage of women that are able to rehab their diastasis. Some of them, it will happen naturally. They'll just come back postpartum. They won't, they maybe they don't even check it. And then by three weeks, six weeks, you know, 10 weeks, their diastasis is fully healed and they never even knew they had it postpartum. Now, a hundred percent of women have a diastasis at their due date. So I think that's important to keep in mind. It's a natural part of pregnancy. And then when we look at the women that, okay, their diastasis doesn't heal naturally quickly postpartum, in which there was one study that showed that the faster women healed their diastasis, the more um, instances of prolapse there was, uh, which I thought was very interesting because then that speaks a lot of, okay, there's pressure. Where is that excess pressure coming out? So I thought that was a very neat thing as well. Um, but then when we look at these women where, okay, they don't heal quickly, naturally postpartum, maybe they need some specific exercises. Maybe we need to take a look at things further in the body, which we can dive into a little bit later in the call if you want. Yeah. And so as we, as we look at those things and maybe, all right, we're going to work, we're going to rehab, we're going to do our exercises, and then we'll be able to overcome it and the diastasis will heal naturally. Um, and then you've got a section of women where maybe genetically they don't have the best quality fascia. Uh, it happens. Some people have stretchier skin. Some people have more wrinkles. Um, genetics are genetics. You know, you might have blue eyes. You might have brown eyes. You might have a big nose. You might have a small nose. Like we're all handed a set of genetics that for all of us, we can probably pick out the things in our genetics we'd rather replace and the things in our genetics that we're so happy with that we have. And so I think this is one of those things that also falls and so our fascial integrity um, can have a genetic component. But now, like most things, you can do what you can to overcome genetics. So healthy diet, you know, great hydration, all that kind of stuff can play into helping genetics of our skin. But 
Likewise, if you have somebody who's a smoker, eats like crap, drinks soda all day, you know, their skin is probably going to be in pretty bad shape no matter whether or not they had great genetics. Uh, so that can kind of both go both ways. I feel like there's a little bit of leeway even within the, the genetics. So did stretch so did marks, that, did that answer that? Yeah. Would stretch marks be a sign that the skin doesn't have that elasticity naturally? I, I mean, I don't know. Okay. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, it's so interesting because I've done so many deep dives into fascia, just trying to understand it better. And it doesn't always remodel like the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't remodel like muscle. Um, it remodels like fascia, which is pretty darn cool, but also really interesting because fascia takes forever to remodel. So I think keeping that in mind, I mean, you're looking at a year to two years, I mean, maybe even longer for fascial remodeling. I I was one of those unfortunate, I unfortunate folks. I had <laughs> quite a diastasis at the top, pretty much from the navel to xiphoid process. And I had PT for it and we could get the muscles to to fire up and I could engage the pelvic floor. And at the moment I could get tone and spring, but as soon as I relaxed, there is mm-hmm. like, it's just the load. And so I had, it, I called it my brioche where some people get like a muffin top where it kind of hangs mm-hmm. over the bottom. Mine was like a puff at the top. So I called it a brioche. Um, and, <laughs> and even after two years, it was still NPT. It just was not it was just not going away. So after my second child, I did have, um, so then I saw a doctor and he's like, it's more of a hernia than anything. And so I mm-hmm. had to have surgery on that, which is unfortunate, but I, I can really hear that a lot of people can work really hard and sometimes the body does respond and, and sometimes it, it doesn't. And it's, yeah, and we don't know until we try. And that's the thing. So I see these women that are like, Oh, I've just got to go get this fixed. So you can't heal a diastasis. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You haven't tried anything yet. <laughs> You might actually be able to heal this, but I, I think part of the biggest issue too with just us and the, our, our view of bodies is it can be tough because you can have prolapse and maybe you improve your prolapse from a grade two to a grade one. But honestly, you wouldn't be happy with a grade one diastasis. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's this, but nobody's looking, nobody's wearing a bikini inside your pelvic floor. <laughs> Like there's, you know, so I think the standard for healing a diastasis and having a flat stomach postpartum is so high. It's yeah. so ridiculously high yeah. um, that it doesn't compare at all to when we look at like, say, healing the pelvic floor where I'm like, if I could get somebody from a grade two prolapse to a grade half prolapse, like sure, we may have a little bit of bulging still there, but if they have that where they can generate pressure and they're doing a good job, me. It's good to go. We definitely wouldn't touch it with surgery. But right. likewise, I think our standards for diastasis um, are quite, quite high. So what can someone do that can inadvertently worsen their diastasis? Oh, so that is a good question. And that is one I would like to hear for every pregnant woman to hear because it starts in pregnancy. Uh, so, there, so I've actually seen more, I've seen the most, when I look at percentages of women with asses that I've seen, um, the highest percentage generally comes from higher level exercising women. Uh, and I don't, that's not a research this number. Was totally that's just me. me. <laughs> this is totally me. I'm like, oh my God, I was the crazy exerciser. I still did. And the reason <laughs> I think my diastasis was so bad at the top is while I didn't do deeper backbends in the lumbar, I did a ton of thoracic. And so it's not surprising mm. with all that rib flaring 
that <laughs> the top yeah, was you just like, kept opening it up during I did, pregnancy. Yeah. I did. So let's go let's go into that. So what can worsen it? So the higher exercisers. Yeah. So what I noticed is these women were doing were staying great shape during pregnancy. Um, but they were not monitoring for doming or that diastasis um, pressure. Like you said, the little alien belly, the fin coming out of your abdominal wall. Yeah. I had one woman call it an alien um, belly, and I, I can't get that image out of my mind now. <laughs> After she, she's like, it was just an alien coming out of my stomach. And I was like, oh, goodness. But you see that during pregnancy where women are doing abdominal work and they get that additional doming. So what I would love to get across to um, pregnant women is to look at your abs and then see how flat they are with the baby right there and then tense your abs and you should stay the same size or get smaller. You should not pooch out in the front. And so have somebody monitor you if you're doing planks, have them place their hand on your stomach and standing. Okay. Feel how much bulging there is and then go into that plank. And if the person's like, whoa, I felt this bulge in my hands in the middle or, oh, it got bigger, then you need to stop doing planks. Um, same thing can happen with pull-ups. You look at the CrossFit community where you've got really heavy lifting. We're like, okay, you should have maybe dropped down to a, you know, one arm kettlebell for something instead of doing kipping pull-ups. Um, and the same thing in the yoga committee where you have very demanding high level exercises where you should probably back off maybe like six or seven months. Uh, the, um, the first time moms tend to have a little bit easier time going further in their pregnancy before backing off because the fascia has never been stretched out. Uh, so they have a little bit more tension and it takes more to stretch it out. Uh, but you look at the second, third, fourth, fifth time moms, they usually have to back off a lot quicker uh, and notice that doming happening or that distension in the midline happening a lot sooner uh, in the pregnancy. And so just from a prevention standpoint, if we can work on knitting those abs together, work on rib flare, working on TAs firing and not overly, I, I'm a big believer in continuing to do abdominal work through pregnancy, but not overly stressing the area with too much pressure, I think can go a long way with setting up a good foundation. So I'm hearing it says more of the intra-abdominal pressure pushing forward because I, I teach TA work with my prenatal people, but then I'm also hearing rib flare. So for the yogis out there, doing what I didn't do, like what I, doing what I did, but not doing, that's what, not doing what I did with all the back bends and chest openers. So not doing a ton of deep back bends that are really opening up the front body. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Stretching backwards is fine, but just don't do it 10 times and don't do it with a lot of pressure or load. Um, you know, so I think that there's a, there's a time under tension problem. Um, you know, you stretch backwards once over a foam roller to stretch. Yeah, you're probably fine, but it's the it's the time under tension. So holding that, like back holding a big holding wheel pose over and yeah, over, yeah, holding drop a big wheel pose and, and over. Like you're just you're real. I mean, you're you're taking fascia that is already being stretched out due to pregnancy, and then you're putting that extra stress on top of it. Um, and it's so hard, right? I'm an athlete which I consider high level yoga people athletes, that that's is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're, you just, you don't want to back off. You don't want to say, no, this pregnancy is not going to take this from me. You know, I can still do this. I'm going to stay in great shape during my pregnancy. So it's, it can be a mindset too. It can be really hard to back off. Yes. I think I actually totally understand. We were talking about that this weekend in teacher training that a lot of high level yogi people, it's a lot of their identity and years of practice. And then to have to step away from that can be really, really hard. So yeah. I have and it, but a that's lot of across sport. the board yeah. with every sport. Yeah. You know, you, we, 
it's, it's part of our identity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then to have to step away from that, it's really hard. So mm-hmm. how can one's posture inhibit diastasis from healing? So I don't believe that there is a perfect posture. I don't feel like people should walk around holding their shoulders back and some magical, you know, upright posture that they deem best. Posture is fluid. Uh, it is mobile. It moves in lots of directions. So great posture is um, very mobile posture. Now, with that in mind, there are definitely more of a tendency toward um, stressing of the diastasis with certain types of posture. And remember we talked about that fascia remodeling over time. So this is prenatal and postnatal. So a person who tends to stand in a big sway back posture. So I want you to imagine somebody standing with their knees locked and their hips shifted forward and their shoulders back kind of slouch, mm-hmm. uh, you can probably picture that. You probably just take a moment and look around yeah. today as you go somewhere and you can see somebody in that posture. And so that big sway back posture puts a lot of stress forward on the midline and it puts a lot of continuous stress. Think about how long you tend to stand during the day. That is a standing posture that hangs on our ligamentous system. And it is a standing posture that is very, very common in the yoga world because people who are attracted to yoga and people who have been working on yoga for long periods of time tend to have a very loose ligament systems. And so the looser your ligament system, kind of the more muscle it takes to support you upright. And so there has tendency to be kind of that hanging on that ligament system. You probably teach that with your yoga teacher training, mm-hmm. like don't hang into this position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so we see a lot of hanging with that posture, posture that I think kind of goes hand in hand with some of that laxity. So think about being pregnant. You're exhausted. It's just hard. You're growing a life. And so you got to stand there and do that tendency to shift forward into that sway back posture um, becomes very, very tempting. Um, and then you're just tired postpartum. So then you just carry it into your postpartum time and, um, and holding a I, baby, you're, you're oh, countering yeah, it like the weight, exactly. holding the baby. So the, the chest goes back with the hips go forward. Yeah, I wish I could show you a pelvis model right now for (laughs) for everyone. But as you shift forward, imagine, so hold your hands up like a pelvis. Okay. So hold your fingers up. Okay. So pinkies are down at the bottom at your pelvic floor. Yes. Index fingers are up at the rim by your abs. Okay. So if you can imagine that. So what I want you to do is bring your pinkies closer together, Mm -hmm. both the inside and the outside of your pinkies to see how your pelvis opens like a bowl. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is kind of what happens during pregnancy, um, just to support the weight of the baby and to give us a lot more stability. And so when this happens, it puts a kind of a, uh, think about it as a pelvic floor. So imagine there was a string attaching to each pinky. Now, when we didn't have our pinkies close together, do you see how that string is pulled taut? But as I move my pinkies closer together, that string sags. Yeah. Yeah, so you end up with a sagging in the pelvic floor. That's why prolapse can happen during pregnancy. You keep that uh, pelvic posture into your postpartum period until you work on fixing it, which takes a lot of corrective exercise or can take a lot of corrective exercise. Um, and so you've got that predisposition um, to postures that are not entirely great for our diastasis on our pelvic floor. Um, but they're, I mean, they're great for holding a baby. They're great for energy efficiency. Um, it's the body adapting to the, the weight shifts. And maybe, you know what, if we walked on all fours, we would be a little better at carrying baby. Um, 
but you know, it's, it, it, it kind of is what it is. So you, you kind of see that, that pelvic posture. So being able to catch it and correct it can be really helpful. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. Let's continue on the topic of posture and the pelvic floor and how our our diaphragm may not work quite as efficiently as perhaps it should when our posture gets a little out of whack. We'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we are back. So one thing that I found really fascinating. So I, my background was a singer before I was into yoga. So I was always aware of the diaphragm. But what I've really learned from studying with you is really um, the relationship of the functionality. I always understood that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor should work in concert. But what I didn't consider was how my posture was affecting how my diaphragm worked quite as well. I don't know why it didn't click. But can we talk a little bit about posture, diaphragm, pelvic floor? I just opened Absolutely. a very big can of worms. You did. You did. But we'll try to simplify and keep it short because, you know, this was hours of the course. Yes, yes, yes. I can boil it down into a sentence. It's fine. Great. So, so when you have this more sway back posture, think about it as compressing the back. You're kind of hanging on the back and opening in the front. And so when that happens and you compress the back, so our diaphragm wraps around our entire torso. So it extends from the front to the back and from the left to the right. So it is truly, think about somebody put a divider in your body, like the magician that chops somebody in half, Yes. right? So your diaphragm just sliced you in half. And so it's pretty amazing when you think about it that way. But when we think about it that way, we think, oh, wait, it needs to contract in the back and the left and the right just as much as it contracts down in the front. So it needs to be efficient all the way around. And so when we don't address tightness in the back and tightness in the sides, so imagine I come up behind you and I take my hands and I put them right underneath your shoulder blades and my thumbs are on your back and my fingers are on your sides and I pinch and I squeeze. Now feel that shoving your ribs forward as I pinch and squeeze. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So you feel that creates tightness in your back? Yes. And it creates stretching and opening in the front. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when this happens, we're not getting great diaphragm expansion in the back. And also our TAs are often tightening down on the sides or maybe our lateral abs. And what that's doing as it pinches on the sides is it's shoving pressure out through the front. And so if we don't have eccentric links, so the ability to lengthen our TAs, 
that can put excessive pressure on the fascia in the middle. Um, if we don't have that ability to lengthen our back muscles that are tight, that can also put excessive pressure in the middle. And so you see how as we don't work on that, a great 360 diaphragm expansion where it gets to expand everywhere really well, uh, then we're going to end up with tightness in our back and in our sides and all that pressure starts for. So you're trying to tighten your abs. You're trying to you know, contract your abs, trying to make your abs stronger, but you can't fight the tightness. And so that's part of the problem is, is you're doing all this ab work, but it's not effective. You know, those little crunches where you're trying to squish their midline together to fix your diastasis. It's just not working because you cannot overcome the tightness in the back without directly addressing the tightness in the back. That makes a lot of sense. And then if the diaphragm's not working to its full function, then the pelvic floor is not getting that receiving of the breath. That's how I feel like it's in my mind. I think of a jellyfish. I think of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, like jellyfish. I don't know. I get weird images and I love it. And and so, you know, when they, when the jellyfish goes down, it spreads out and then it comes up and it domes. And if we don't get Mm -hmm. that diaphragm dropping, it doesn't help this pelvic floor receive and stretch. That's the image I get. Is that, is that, am I thinking of that correctly? No, I love it. I love it. You think about when you inhale, air gets sucked into your lungs, right? That's your diaphragm pulling down. Mm -hmm. So when your diaphragm contracts down, it pulls air into your lungs. Now, as it pulls air into your lungs, that diaphragm goes down, it pushes on your organs, which is awesome for digestion because that is like organ massage. It's so lovely. And so you get that really big, deep diaphragmatic breath expanding into your back, which is where your psoas is attached into. So you get a little mini relief, a little mini massage, like, ah, get it to let go. But then that pressure keeps going down and it goes down to your pelvic floor. So then your pelvic floor has to give a little to catch that pressure and then send it back up. And then your diaphragm goes back up to its resting state. So everybody kind of moves up and down with each other. Like, like dancing jellyfish. Two dancing yeah, jellyfish. Like dancing jellyfish. <laughs> I love it. Who pretty is it? <laughs> it is. It's awesome. And then when you think about that, you think about, oh, wow. So my pelvic floor does need to move, which means you've got to address pelvic floor tightness to be able to help a diastasis. Because most of the women I see are like, I have a diastasis. Don't even talk about my pelvic floor. <laughs> well, let's actually do that. So I let's do this. So if someone has a diastasis, how is that affecting the function of the pelvic floor? All right. So this is one of those really interesting questions where the research shows us that there is virtually no connection between diastasis and pelvic floor issues. So basically, women who have a diastasis are not more likely to have pelvic organ prolapse. They're not more likely to have leaking. Um, so it's it's really interesting. I think a percentage of women have pelvic floor issues and have diastasis, and sometimes that overlaps. So I kind of look at it this way. Um, all right. So let's think about how issues manifest and then show themselves in the body. So I want to take a little sidetrack and maybe this will help it make sense. But let's take, for example, overactive QLs. Your QLs are those big, broad, flat muscles that sit on either side of your back that are often tight. Mm-hmm. So they can cause Especially neck pain. Especially in the pregnant, that pregnant body. Yes, exactly. So everybody kind of is like all tight and squishy, <laughs> like squished yes, together. Yeah. Yes, everybody can imagine, all right, my back feels tight, right? And so these muscles being tight, they can lead to neck pain, low back pain, leg length difference, actually. So a tight oh. QL can cause that leg to be shorter. SI joint pain. So how could a tight QL cause neck pain in one person and SI joint pain in someone else? But fixing the QL overactivity fixes both of these issues. 
So I kind of look at the same thing with the pelvic floor and diastasis. They're both part of our central core system. Uh-huh. So when we have a breathing issue, when we're not using our diaphragm well, we're not helping our muscles all coordinate together. We don't have, let's say, great link tension relationship between our TAs, internal obliques, and external obliques. I find it's often the similar lines of approach. So we look at breathing, we look at core coordination, we look at pelvic positioning, but exactly how it comes out can differ in people. So I am not sure why some people end up with a diastasis and some people end up with pelvic floor issues. Some of that's how they load. Some of that's their habits, right? How do they bend over to tie their shoe? Um, maybe if you try, if you bend straight down, you tend to have more diastasis issues. If you kind of reach across a little bit, maybe you have more pelvic floor issues because maybe with one way your habits have formed stronger external obliques and with another way your habits have formed maybe stronger internal obliques. So I think it's really interesting when we start looking at those patterns, maybe sports we did in our childhood, how we tend to do things, and then what that leads to down the road. That makes sense. So that I, I know it's kind of, it's, it's so interesting. I feel like chew on really that for a second. It. <laughs> yeah, because I actually thought when I was writing this up, I would have thought, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if you don't have that pressure in the front that that strong support that when you inhale, are you getting kind of a leakage through the front and then the pressure doesn't go down on the pelvic floor so it gets tight? Maybe. That's or the an, pelvic floor just stays fine because it's not getting pressure. That's true because, yes, I guess yeah. I was thinking that so we I, need I that pressure to stretch. Yeah. Okay. I see, but I see the women who are, are really having trouble redirecting the pressure from the front. I find they will often have a tight, some tight, tight pelvic floorness, tight pelvic floorness, pelvic floor tightness because they're having such a struggle redirecting the pressure. So I will work on redirecting the pressure first, the before going down the tight pelvic floor road because I can often just get that to work and they don't always have pelvic floor tightness, which I think is what's become so interesting with a little bit of research we do have and why it's not showing clear things is because we're all different and how we layer on our habits and compensations is all different and which is why one size doesn't fit all when we look at fixing someone um and so what worked for your friend might not work for you because your body is adapting in a different way yeah, that's why I was telling the students, like, get, or get get handsy with yourself. Feel. Feel what's going on. Yes. <laughs> touch touch around your sit bones. Like, get a sense of, of what you're feeling. Because what I offer is kind of broad strokes for people to get to know their body. It's all going to show up differently. So keeping on the diastasis and the pelvic floor conversation. <laughs> so if someone has diastasis and pelvic floor tightness, what are some ways that they may want to start to just get in touch with their TAs without adding more tension to the pelvic floor? So in my professional career, this is probably one of the most difficult scenarios. Let's just have a momentary just, conversation about that. Just to let you know. Yes, 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 yes. Pelvic floor <laughs> tightness is can be very, very challenging um, to overcome because it is a secondary compensation on top of like, remember we talked about that pelvic positioning. Remember I talked about the, yes. that string that develops some slackness when we open the pelvic bowl yes. on the top, squishes the bottom together. So when that happens, we get a bulging on the pelvic floor. Well, you'll get those people that will compensate by 
tightening or lifting their pelvic floor all the time because it feels very uncomfortable to have your pelvic floor just kind of hanging out. So then not only do you have this pelvic positioning, but now you have the tightness on top of it. So you are holding the bottom of the pelvic floor. And so then it makes it double hard to peel back those layers to then make the changes happen. Um, versus when somebody just has weakness and doesn't have tightness. So it just becomes, you need a lot of patience, I guess, who I'm trying to say. <laughs> so I like to go about it from a direct and an indirect way. So before I try to tackle any exercise, I'm obviously going to work on breathing. So can they expand in their back? We're going to start there because those TAs work with the pelvic floor. So if we can get their sides and their back expanding, we can get let go of a little TA tension because the TAs are often being held very tightly, then we will help get rid of some pelvic floor tightness. Mm. So if we can't get their sides to expand, then oftentimes I'll have people hold pressure in the front. If they just feel like all the air is going to go straight out the front, I'll have them put a pillow on their belly hold that pillow in and create pressure. We'll get in a specific positions to help it expand. So if I can't get their sides to expand, I, I don't feel like there's, we need to start there in other words, because that's going to be our gateway into getting the pelvic floor to let go. So I generally tackle that first, super easy. People can do it a bunch of the times during the day, hopefully not in the middle of the night, just during the day. <laughs> I'd say then, that has been game changing for me with my students that we've been doing back and side rib expansion. I've been doing it like a child's pose with a blanket at the base and then higher up. And so many people are like, oh my gosh, my back is so tight. I had no idea. We'll do some sort of like a little squat, like a malasana breathing into the back. I'm starting all my pre and post working on back and side. And I felt like Again, it's it's not a study, but like the the feedback I'm getting yes, is people are no, saying so much better, less neck tension. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've been doing this for years. And I'm like, why have I not? Pay-? I've always thought side, but I haven't thought of back as much. And it's really, it really is game changing. So I just want to shout that out. I'll, I'll shut up and let you keep talking now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the the psoas inserts into the back. Yeah. And pulls the spine into extension. And so when you're breathing into the spine, you're breathing the spine into flexion, which means you're getting to a very difficult to get to spot. Yeah. Because of how it inserts and really getting to the top of that psoas and getting it to let go. The best way is through our breath. So I like to indirectly start working um, on the breath. And, and when we look at the psoas, it goes down and crosses through the fascia of the pelvic floor. So there's a lot of fascial connection throughout the pelvic floor as well. Um, speaking of which, making sure there's not trigger points in the adductors or the deep hip rotators and um, things like that. So I want to work directly on their pelvic floor tightness. Um, I want to have make sure they're working with an internal pelvic floor PT or they've seen an internal pelvic PT who has trained them in using a wand on themselves regularly. Mm-hmm. So we want to, I mean, so think about your upper traps. Think about your neck. How great does a massage feel, right? You've got some neck tightness. I mean, you can try to wait for it to go away or you will take your hand up there and you rub it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you reach up there, you rub that tight neck muscle. Ah, it lets go a little bit. So the same thing happens for a pelvic floor. So if somebody has pelvic floor tightness. I want them to be getting internal work, but I want them to be careful because if they're too aggressive too quickly, the body will respond by tightening more. So mm-hmm. that's where, like you said, time and patience. Really takes a lot of time and patience. Uh, and then as far as exercise wise, I like to work directly with having them contract their TAs. If we're going to work on getting that abdominal work, maybe they have a diastasis as well. We'll work on tightening the TAs about 50% and holding that contraction while relaxing, sending relaxing breaths down to their pelvic floor. 
And so that's why we want to address that pelvic floor tightness first before we start working those TAs to make sure they're getting that manual work. Um, and then indirectly working on exercises, maybe like the foam roller up the wall to tackle serratus. Um, that can be really helpful because they're in a plank position, they're holding some ab tension, and we can work on them directing their breath down into their pelvic floor. I like timing inhales with exercises to help. Like you do a bridge, mm-hmm. when you lift on the bridge, you inhale instead of exhale. So that's going to, that inhale is going to help open um, the pelvic floor and help it let go just a little bit. This is really, really helpful. Okay. I have one more question before we take another break. And this one is because I've been scanning. I love looking online at hearing what people think. And I'd love your thoughts on what do you think is the most common, or maybe there's more than one, misunderstanding in healing diastasis and finding balance in the pelvic floor? Oh, so this was such an interesting question. Um, and I think for me, it comes down to diastasis is not just an abdominal issue. Uh, you look up these ab exercises for diastasis on YouTube if you ever just Google like diastasis ab exercises. And I did. And that's why workout. I saw so many different ideas and, and conflicting ideas and ideas that I <laughs> felt were very wrong from what I have been taught. So I, that's why I'm throwing this out there. There's just so much information. Yes. With the primary exercise you'll see is a small crunch where you smoosh your abs together. Right. Over and over again. That's the one people are repeating. But and sometimes that can work for people, but also sometimes, you know, DAS is a naturally heal as well. So that makes it the water a little bit murky. <laughs> but though I did this postpartum, well, DASIS might have healed anyway. But so for the really hard cases for the people who have done all the crunches smushing their abs together, then we have to take a look at whole body coordination. Um, I I think I shared this in the course, but I'll share it here because I think it's so neat. I once had a man, um, and I, I find that men can be the most fascinating for healing diastasis because you're not thinking, oh, pregnancy. It, it immediately takes that thought away, which then retrained my brain to be like, no, I need to look at these postpartum women like I did the men I see with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. So it isn't just let me get my abs back. And when I started doing that, that really helped me, I think, with healing more difficult cases because then I was looking at it more as a, um, a whole body kinetic chain issue. So I had one interesting person where we did not make very much progress. <laughs> and I worked on everything. He came in to see me for a label tear, anterior hip pain, hip pain after driving, things like that. Um, and so we, we got his hip fixed, great, pain-free, hip feeling fantastic, no need for any surgery from his label tear. He was feeling great. And he still had a DASIS, which he didn't know when he walked in. It was something I found that I was like, I want to keep working on this. So he's <laughs> like, all right, fine. And so I fixed Everything, you know, got arm swing when he walked, counter body movement, you know, from head. And then I finally got down to his feet and I figured out he threw himself forward when he walked. He did not have great foot and calf strength, which is probably why he ended up with a degenerative labral tear because he would throw himself forward into the front of his hip socket as well. <laughs> By overworking hamstrings, this is an extensor, but you know, that's, that's a whole different rabbit hole. <laughs> but yeah, I, I finally got his diastasis um, to improve by working on his foot and arch strength, which that to me was a pivotal moment in helping people with diastasis because that was very eye-opening and kind of mind-blowing to me um, that it could be that far away. Uh, I've helped women uh, where I had one woman who was still having issues and there was one arm where she could not do 
pulling exercise as well with that one side. Um, her lats were taking over and her middle traps were weak, middle and lower traps. So we worked more on middle and lower traps. And then she was able to generate more pressure in her midline. And then that changed the way her body moved throughout the day. And then her diastasis was able to improve as well. Uh, serratus plays a big role. Um, our scapula being able to disassociate. And I know that's a big word, but the scapula just being able to move on the rib cage. So people get so stuck. So feel your shoulder blade in the back. Mm-hmm. Now imagine reaching up into the cabinet for a cup. Yep. Okay. Don't let your rib cage go. So put one hand on the front of your rib cage and then reach your other hand up. Your scapula should glide across your rib cage it to does. help you reach up into the cabinet. Yes, exactly. You are awesome. You're gold star. <laughs> but for a lot of people, that doesn't work that way. When they go to reach into the cabinet for the cup, their scapula doesn't disassociate. It doesn't glide well on the rib Where cage. Where does it go? Like, what is it doing? It just stays there and oh. their whole rib cage goes. Okay. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm going to reach for it. Okay. I'm going to reach for it by arching my back and leading with my, with my ribs <laughs> instead of letting that scapula slide around, keeping the rib cage still. So there's, there's all these whole body uh, coordination. And it's almost like coordination. You know, it's almost like when you open the pathway up for the brain, your brain's like, whoa, I can use this. <laughs> so I guess the misunderstanding is it can be fixed with one or two exercises when it's really look at the whole kinetic chain of the body. Yes. Yes. Which, which can be, become a little overwhelming. I understand. And a bit more complicated. Okay. A lot more complicated. Um, but if you, if you kind of want to fight for it a little bit and go down that road, I truly believe that, uh, you go to someone who is, you know, a bit of an expert in this and, and kind of looking at the biomechanic aspects of the body and what they help peel back those layers, they change for the rest of your life. So someone who creates a great serratus to reach into that cabinet is not, is going to be less likely. I'm not going to say not. It's going to be less likely to end up with a degenerative rotator cuff tear in their sixties. Do you see what I'm saying? So I feel like there's a, it's a long road and, and you know, this can be really frustrating. You just want it fixed. Um, but I find that when we go down those rabbit holes and start peeling back those layers, it changes our body forever. And I feel like that's a great thing for aging. Yes, I definitely say so as I am now in my late forties. Um, <laughs> things are not quite the same as they were before. So if, if we have t- pregnant people and postpartum folks listening to this and probably yoga teachers and they're getting overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, it's not a one size fits all. There's so much and I have to look at the whole person individually is, do you think just having them start with 360 breathing is a really good step into? <laughs> To getting yes, to and you know what? My course is open to yoga instructors because I believe so much can be done differently in a group exercise situation. If we can just simply, like you said, you're getting people to sit in child's pose in a different way than they've yes. sat in child's pose before with a slightly different focus. If the cues that come out of your mouth are slightly different, that can be life-changing for someone. So, you know, that's my job as the rehab person, the rehab people all over the world that should be, you know, stepping up to the plate for that. And in some cases, you look at specialty, um, you know, exercise, fitness areas where you're seeing people one on one. But I don't feel like you have to see somebody one on one to change their life. Yes, I hope not because I, because <laughs> I teach yes. classes. <laughs> so I'm hoping to help them in a group. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. What is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expecting parents? We'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what is your final tip or piece of advice for new and expectant parents? So I think this is a great question. I also want to go back to the last one for one minute first. Sure, I don't yes. want to make it seem like. So when we look at it, it's the scale of percentages, right? So let's say you've got 40 students that you see over the year at diastasis. 20, you don't have to do anything. It's just going to heal automatically. Another 10 are just going to heal perfectly from a little bit of maybe cueing and direction. Maybe another five need to need you to walk by and move their body a little bit in different positions. And then you've got that five left where maybe they need to have some more of that one-on-one specialty. So just to put it in percentages, I think so much can be done in the group setting um, and so much can be done, uh, you know, not in that one-on-one uh, that it doesn't have to be that way. But sometimes you do have those people where they do need that kind of one-on-one oh, hands-on. I tell all these teachers that I train to get to, get a resource list of all the pelvic floor PTs and all the women's health PTs in their area. So when it is beyond the scope of us as yoga teachers, we know where to refer because we cannot do some of the work that, or a lot of the work that PTs mm-hmm. can. But you can do so much. So I think that's pretty incredible. Um, and I, I think that if we can, like what you're doing right now by spreading all of this knowledge, I think you're making such a difference because Thanks. the more we can help, even in a preventative standpoint, you know, the, which takes effort, but the more we can take <laughs> and learn the preventative standpoint, the better off a lot of women are going to be. Oh, thanks. All right. So what's your final tip? Okay. Uh, final tip, um, is just that I was thinking about that and I was like, what piece of advice do I want to give? And that is prevention is key. So the more you can learn about how to find your adductors, connect with your pelvic floor, feel your TAs, focus on good deep breathing more often, the better your postpartum recovery will be. Uh, the less diastasis and pelvic floor issues you'll have to worry about. But even if you're already there, so that's my advice for expecting parents, but my advice for you know, new and even older moms is just to keep learning, keep chasing that, that physical, uh, physical, I don't know what word wants to come to mind, maybe prowess, but just being, being, um, fixing those layers, peeling back those layers, helping your body move well and feel good. Cause then I think that's really going to help prevent, um, and do well for aging. Yes. Oh, so good. So, so good. All right. Where can people find your work? Uh, thanks. So I have a website called coreexercisesolutions.com. Uh, but if you just Google Sarah Duval, I'm pretty sure it'll pop up. Uh, and I've got tons of articles and free classes, both pelvic floor and diastasis. So you can just hop over there. There's a ton of great free information. Yeah. And you have a course for postnatal folks. And then we talk about the course that we keep referring to the, what is the full name? The correct, the prenatal, postnatal, corrective. Pregnancy pregnancy (laughs) and postpartum corrective exercise specialist. And yes, it's a mouthful, but it's pregnancy and postpartum corrective exercise specialist, because that is what the course breaks down is corrective exercise to help. 
Uh, and so it is a course that focuses on just that, the, the pregnancy and postpartum time period. And I do have to say, I know that most people that are probably watching this are not yoga teachers or taking it that are watching your course are probably not yoga teachers, but the yoga teachers out there, I cannot tell you how much I have learned from this. And what I, what I found from it is there's a lot that I had learned from working with PTs. I apprenticed with PT. Like I've had a lot work, a lot of work on this and even pelvic floor teacher trainings, but this connected the dots in ways that I learned one thing. I learned the other thing. And I'm like, oh yeah, now I see that like the whole connection. So it's made a lot of sense. I'm really having fun with it. So thank you. Oh, yay. And then when you know it and things make sense, they become easy. Yeah. It's not something you're trying to memorize or make sure you do. You're just, it becomes more natural in your teaching and your approach. And to it people. does. And it becomes, it makes it easier for me to teach other people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just teaching pelvic floor. I'm not just gymnastics. I'm talking about the pressure yeah. system and, and the, the relationship between the pelvis and the rib cage. It just makes a lot of sense. And you, present- and you don't need to know if people have pelvic no. floor or diastasis I'm to so help them. You're correct. watching the way they move. Yeah. And I, yes. in fact, I've been like a crazy person. Like I watch, <laughs> I love like on the subway. I just love watching how people's bodies move. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. That hip is higher. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. That rib cage is pushed. like, like, so <laughs> yeah, I'm that crazy people watcher, but it's made a lot of sense for me and, it, and I'm really enjoying it. And you also present it in a way that all your work in a way that's digestible. I've had conversations with some PTs that it's, it's not digestible for your average person. And I, mm. I teach the average person. I don't teach physical therapy students. So, um, for those out there, if you're looking just to sharpen your knowledge and you don't even have to be a yoga teacher, just a, a pregnant person that wants to understand their body, it's really, it's really great work. So thank you. Oh, that's great. That's the best compliment a teacher could get because that was my aim is to make this make sense and not reinvent some crazy language where you have to learn the language to then try to understand the material. You know, it's fantastic. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun and I'm, I'm glad we could connect. Yes. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.